At Easter, Pastor Reed had everyone fill out a survey and he was basically asking what types of sermons would you want to hear? And today we're starting a series called You Asked For It, where we are going to discuss some of those subjects that you picked. So this morning, uh, Pastor Reed stuck me with sharing your faith, okay? Um, it's, it's, it's okay, but, but here, here's what I, how I wanna start. I feel like this subject causes a lot of like weird emotions that come up inside us. So before we even start, let's just breathe, okay? Like, hey, we're gonna survive this sermon, okay? We're gonna get through this, okay? It's gonna be okay. Um, I, have, I now have around a little over 13 years of full-time ministry experience in the church. And in my experience, this subject not only gets weird, but we typically have good motives we just get awkward, right? Like we want to be effective. We want to share our faith, but man, there's something that happens and we just become these people who it's, you don't even recognize yourself anymore, right? Like it just gets really awkward really fast. You get butterflies in your stomach. Your palms get sweaty. Like you don't know how to start, but like you feel that prompting to, to want to, to start. So you finally see your neighbor and they're walking your dog. And so you're like, okay, this is my time. And so you go out there too and you're like, Hi, I'm Josh. You're my neighbor. You're walking your dog. Dog's spelled backwards to God. What do you think about God? Right? It's like, you're walking away and you're like, who did I just become? Like, what was that? You know, like, like there's just this awkwardness that comes over us. And it, hey, where's my awkward people at? Okay. Thank you. Hey, it's a safe place, guys. It's a safe place. If we did a sermon on awkward stories, I could fill it many times over, okay? But there's something about us, for some of us, we want to share our faith, but it gets really awkward, right? Um, for, for many others, you may not feel awkward, but you may struggle with anxiety in regards to this subject, or maybe fear, or maybe guilt. Like, there's something probably, some type of emotion that is that accompanies this idea of sharing your faith. And so many of you, you know that you should share your faith more, but you're so nervous that you feel paralyzed. So some of you, you want to do this, do this, but it just scares you to death. Some of you, you're carrying shame because you feel like a failure here and you feel like almost like you're, you know, God's disappointed in you because you're not better at sharing your faith. And so I'm going to put my cards on the table this morning. I have, I have two hopes for this morning uh, by the end. Number one, I want to remove any undue or unbiblical pressure that this idea may cause you. And then two, I want to encourage and empower you so that you know that this is absolutely something that you can do. Okay, I wanna remove the pressure and I wanna encourage you and equip you to say, hey, this week you can do this. You have all that you need to share your faith. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. If you don't have your Bible, maybe you have an iPhone or a tablet, um, I'm gonna use the NIV this morning. Um, if you wanna follow along, we're gonna put a lot of the scripture on the screen as well if you just wanna follow along up there. So before we dig into 1 Corinthians 3, I wanna establish two things, two things. So when we say sharing your faith this morning, I'm referring to the actual communicating with our mouths the good news of Jesus, okay? Like we're talking about actually speaking, right? We wanna actually say things. So when we talk about the good news, it's the good news that we are sinful and that we cannot save ourselves, but Jesus loves us so much that he willingly steps out of heaven. He lives a sinless life. 
By his own choice, he dies on the cross for our sins, not his. He's buried. He rises three days later, overcoming the enemy. And then one day he will come again. In the meantime, for those of us who uh, have put their faith and trust in Jesus, we're called to live lives that honor and glorify and reflect Jesus who has loved us and saved us. Okay, so... I firmly believe that our good deeds and how we love others, it absolutely contributes to the sharing of our faith. But for the purposes of this sermon, when I talk about sharing your faith, I'm talking about sharing the good news of Jesus, or I'm talking about using our words to invite people in to church or just to our faith or to what we're doing um, here at Colonial Hill, okay? So we're talking about the actual words that we say. The second thing we have to establish is that if you're a believer, you're called to this. Okay, if you're a believer, you are called to this. Um, this is for everyone. Now, there's people who are more gifted at sharing their faith than others. That's just the way it is. It's like prayer. Like some people are gifted prayer warriors. I need Miss Betty just to come pray over me every day. Like I love that, right? Like she has, a, my prayers don't sound like that. I wish they did, but, but, but mine don't. And so like some people are gifted at prayer, but whether you're really gifted at it or not, like we should be praying and growing in prayer, right? It's the same thing with sharing your faith. Uh, in sharing your faith, I believe whether you have this, this, you know, this supernatural gift that God just blesses it and it comes natural and easier for you, share your faith. But if you are a believer, you are called to share your faith, okay? So that's the two things. We're talking about the actual words that we say and we are talking about the fact that God has called us to this, okay? If you are with me in 1 Corinthians 3, this is a text where the author Paul is writing to this church and he's correcting them because the Corinthian church was real messed up, if you just wanna talk about that, right? Like they have all kinds of issues and Paul is just having to correct them, he's having to rebuke them, he's having to do all these different things. And so as we read, what you're gonna see is Paul is, is correcting them and then he's gonna get into some stuff that's really helpful for our subject today of sharing your faith, okay? So if you're with me, we're gonna read 1 Corinthians 3, verses one through nine. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So what Paul's doing is he's, the church is arguing and fighting about who they follow. Some follow Paul, some follow Apollos, and Paul kind of is stepping in and he's like, hey, you guys are completely missing the point. You're completely missing the point. These fights, these arguments, they're silly. You're missing the point. The point isn't me who preached first to you, um, who shared the gospel first with you, who planted the seed of Christ in you. Like, I'm not the point. Apollos isn't the point. Like, he came in after me, he watered it, and, and you grew. Like, I'm not the point. Apollos isn't the point. Like, we both played the part that God gave us 
to play. Like that's all we did. The main person is God who's the one who actually did something inside of us, right? Like God is the one who made you grow. The point's not Paul, the point's not Apollos. Like God is the one who's actually at work doing something. The clear teaching of scripture is that the only person who actually has the power to save or change anyone is God himself, right? Like God's the one who has to change somebody. We don't have the power to save anyone. I can't talk you into it, right? Like I just don't have that ability. Do I want to walk in obedience? Yes. Do I want to use my gifts and play my part well? Yes. Do I want to persuade and call people to faith? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we don't have the power. Like God must do something for somebody to be saved. Right? Not only do we not have the power to save anyone, but God never commanded you to save. God didn't say, go save people. He's calling us to share our faith so that in his timing, he can do what only he does. We preach, we share our faith, we obey in love, and then God does something with that. Right? God does. So when we talk about this idea of sharing our faith, we need to think in terms of faithfulness, not in results. And that is not a cop-out line. Okay? That's not... That's not the attaboy you try. Like, like we're not just saying you gotta be faithful and not care about the results. I'm saying you don't think in terms of results, you think in terms of faithfulness because we are going to beg God to see results. We want to see results so bad, right? We want to see God move in big ways. But the beauty and the wisdom of God is that the way God tends to move and work is through the obedience of his people. Did y'all hear that? The, the way God tends to move and work is through the obedience of his people, people like you and me, which means God has this massive plan of redemption where he's gonna save tons of people. And the primary way his spirit is going to move and work in the lives of people is by God's own children, us taking a step of obedience to share the gospel of Jesus with those who don't yet know Jesus. We don't save, but we share. And somehow God uses that, right? Like it is a miracle when somebody comes to faith because God is doing something eternal in their life. Um, how many of you have heard of the marketing strategy, the rule of seven? All right, great, connecting with no one. All right, no, but listen, it, it's, it's easy and it makes sense, okay? Um, the rule of seven is basically the idea that a prospect or a potential customer needs to see or hear about your product or whatever you're selling about seven times before they make a decision. So they need to hear like a, an ad on the radio. They need to see something on Facebook. They need to hear a friend saying, man, I love this product. Like there needs to be about seven points of intersection before they kind of commit or make a decision about your product. Um, it, statistically, the average person needs about those seven, seven points of intersection. Statistically, too, uh, in regards to believers, there tends to be need to be about seven points of intersection before somebody really can make that decision about Christ. And so, um, I'm a very artsy person. Uh, there's this uh, illustration about to be. I, I made that. Okay, um, <laughs> guys, that hurts. You know, <laughs> put my heart into that. All right, but listen. I, I'm going to need you to use your imagination. Adults, imagination is something that you used to have when you were a kid and you would pretend, okay? But I just need you to use your imagination really quick, okay? So this is a line graph. Uh, a negative 10 on this chart would be somebody who's an atheist who says, I don't believe in God. I want no part of him, okay? A 10 on the chart would be somebody who is a fully mature follower of Christ. And zero on this chart 
is somebody, is that, that's the point where you put your faith and trust in Christ, okay? So again, we're talking hypotheticals. Everyone in this room is on the chart somewhere, all right? So some of you are very mature followers of Christ, and you're gonna be somewhere close to that 10 mark. Uh, some of you are newer Christians, and maybe you just got saved, and, and you were you know, at a one or a two. Some of you have been taking your faith seriously, and man, in the last couple of years, you've gone from like a two to a six, some of you in here are really skeptical about Jesus and everything that we're doing right now, and we're so glad you're here, but you're somewhere to the left of that zero, right? You have not yet decided to follow Jesus. So I need you just to kind of think with me and imagine. So I think this is how God moves and works, and, and this is uh, how 1 Corinthians 3 can come to life for me. So let's say you work with someone who's around a negative six on this chart. We're gonna call him Josh because that's my name and that's the least awkward name to call them. And so Josh believes God exists, but wants nothing to do with him, right? So he's somewhere around a negative six on the chart. So as you work with Josh, you build a relationship with him. You have these really good talks. Uh, you talk about your faith and what God's done for you. You invite Josh to church. You love Josh well. Josh sees something very genuine in you, but Josh never comes to church, never puts his faith in Christ, and he moves to another city. You, you mean nothing ever seems to have happened from, from anything that you did with your coworker. So hypothetically, think with me, maybe in Josh's relationship with you, God had worked and moved and softened him from a negative six to a negative three, but you never saw that, right? Josh moves to another city, meets another Christian. That Christian also begins to share their faith with Josh. And over the course of time, uh, God has worked in Josh's life to where he's from a negative three to like a negative one. And then a, a totally another Christian comes into the picture, shares his faith with Josh one time. It all clicks. Josh puts his faith and trust in Christ. Praise God, right? This is, this is, this is what I think we have to think through. Like who played the most important role? The, the guy who got him from negative six to negative three, the guy who got him from negative three to negative one, or the guy who shared and actually got to lead him to Christ? Like who has the most important role? I think the point of 1 Corinthians 3 is that every single one of those guys is very, very important. Paul and Apollos both play their God-given role that God give them. God, God uses that role. He uses their obedience and the church's birth and the church's grown in Corinth. In our hypothetical story, it's the same thing. All three people play their God-given role in the life of Josh. God uses it. And in God's timing, God saves someone. The point isn't Paul or Apollos in 1 Corinthians 3. The point in my story isn't the three people that God, that, that were used, right? The point is that God does something and God uses our obedience in ways that we might not be able to calculate, but he is at work when we obey the call on our life. It would be crazy for the guy who helped him go from negative six to negative three to feel like a failure, Right? That just doesn't make sense. Like he was a vital piece. Even if he doesn't know it, he was a vital piece. It would be like a defensive lineman in football frustrated because he hasn't thrown enough touchdown passes, right? Like there, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? Like the guy who played his part well, who was a very big part of this guy's story, like that is just as important as the guy who actually got to lead him to Christ. This is why we have to view this topic in terms of faithfulness and not results. Do we wanna see results and see people saved? Absolutely. But our call is to be faithful and trust that God will produce his results in his timing. We are to fulfill the role that God has 
that God has given us, where God has placed us, with the people he has placed in our lives, and our job is to trust that God is at work, even when it feels like he isn't, right? I think some of you agree with me. I think some of you are skeptics in here and you have objections immediately come into your mind because you're like, okay, that sounds good. What if they have questions I can't answer? right? That sounds good. What if they shun me? What if I don't know how to start the conversation, right? Like, I don't know how to start it in such a way that, that people are receptive. Uh, what if, you know, I get kind of made fun of, or what if it just makes the culture around the office really awkward from here on out? You know, like, what if something happens when I try to walk in obedience? I think if we're just like being honest, stepping back, I think a lot of our objections are probably rooted in anxiety or fear or shame. And there's something like that playing around in the back as to why we're nervous about stepping out and doing what God has asked us to do. Because, let's think about this. What are the possible outcomes if you actually share your faith with somebody else? There's a guy named Mark Cahill. He's an evangelist, and he has this illustration, and I think it's super, super helpful. He says, there's only three outcomes that can happen if somebody, if you share your faith with somebody. The first is that they can come to faith, right? Everybody agrees that's a win, okay? If somebody, you share your faith and somebody comes to faith, that's a win. The second is that the person listens to what you say, but they don't become a believer. That's simply planting a seed, right? And again, the, it goes back to who knows what might God might do if we faithfully plant a seed. The third thing is that they could reject you, right? But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 11, and 12. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were with you. So according to Jesus, if you share your faith and are rejected, God sees that and you will be rewarded in heaven. So of all three things that could potentially happen if you share your faith, every one of them are actual wins. Okay, which means this, if you church take this seriously and you walk in obedience and share your faith, you cannot lose, which means this, I feel like that should take some pressure off of us, right? If I told you you're going to play a game where you always win, like that's pretty awesome, right? I want to win. So like breathe, like God has got this and he just might use us in the process. Um, let's review real fast. If you're a believer, you're called to share your faith. You are not called to save anyone because that's God's job. When you share your faith and plant seeds, you have no idea how God might use your obedience in the life of that person. And lastly, when you share your faith, there's only three possible outcomes and they are all wins. Praise God, praise God. But that leaves us with one more question to ask or to answer, I guess, since I'm talking, right? How do we practically share our faith? Okay, so like that's a lot of background information. So how do we do this? How, how can we share our faith without being overly awkward? How can we do it in such a way that people are hopefully more receptive, right? How, how do we do this? Um, we have to remember that our target is not people who are already plugged into a church somewhere, right? Like we're not trying to steal church members. That is not our target. Um, I've been talking to my teens about finding people in their school or in their life who either don't know Jesus or don't have a church home. That is our target, right? Don't know Jesus, don't have a church home. Um, how many of you watch Grey's Anatomy? Guys, hey, it's a safe place. We can admit to watching Grey's Anatomy. I watch it with my wife, right? 
I don't cry. I yawn at certain points, you know, and then my eyes get watery. Like, I don't, I don't know, okay? But if you watch Grey's Anatomy, you know this. If you don't watch Grey's Anatomy, there's kind of this, this ongoing theme, and it's this idea that you are my person, okay? That you are my person. And so what I've kind of been challenging my teens is, hey, have a person. Who is your person, right? One person in your life who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have a church home, uh, that is who we're gonna pray for specifically by name. That's who we are gonna go after as a church. Like, hey, like there's 300 people here. I don't know how many people are here, but every believer, like 300 people praying specifically for somebody to come to know Jesus. And I just feel like what an incredible opportunity it is for us to reach the region, right? If we spread out all across this region, we go our separate ways, we're, we're praying for someone and we are trying to leverage that relationship for Jesus, like what God might do in this region if we were serious about praying specifically for one. I love it, okay? So listen, here's how I wanna end today. I want to quickly tell you three ways that I have personally found uh, be most natural and effective in sharing my faith, okay? Most natural and effective. The first thing is this, develop meaningful relationships. Develop meaningful relationships. Like you can have random talks with people, that's fine. But what seems most effective, especially with younger generations, is that they need to know you before they trust you. They need to know you before they trust you. And so you've got to build a relationship with people before they care about what you say, especially in regards to your faith, which means you can't be two-faced, right? Like you can't build this relationship and be like, have all this ungodly conduct and just be like this ungodly person at work one day and then like try to share the love of Jesus the next. Like people see right through that, right? Like, like it matters how we live our lives. Like if we wanna develop meaningful relationships, the other thing is this, the best way to develop a meaningful relationship is to care about people. <laughs> that, that seems obvious, but like, you care about people, you ask them questions, you get to know them, you take an interest in their life and you develop a relationship that God just might use. I, I don't wanna cause guilt here, but do you actually have any friends who don't know Jesus or who don't have a church home? Like, do you have a person that God has put in your life that you can actually build a meaningful relationship with? And is there a way to use that relationship to really be able to share your faith in what God has done? I think personally, one of the most natural ways to do this in this season is to invite somebody to your small group because they're based on something that you probably both like and built into our small groups are this opportunity and this safe place just to have really good conversation. And so for many of you, maybe one of the most practical things you can do this week is invite somebody who doesn't have have a church home or who doesn't know Jesus into your small group for the next few months, which brings us directly into the next idea. It is to leverage the places where you already are. When you think about sharing your faith, don't think about adding stuff to your schedule. Think about being present where you already are, okay? How can you leverage the things that you're already doing to um, love on people who don't know Jesus? Here's what it looks like for me. I have a hard time witnessing to my coworkers because I work at the church, okay? And I'm pretty sure all my coworkers are saved, all right? Like, 
I'm not really praying for Reed's uh, salvation. I'm expecting him to be saved. So my work isn't a great place. Your work may be a fantastic place to meet people who don't know Jesus, right? But for me, the restaurants that I go to, um, CrossFit, where I work out at, um, the kids and the parents associated with my kids' sports teams, they're these natural places where I'm already gonna be. And maybe, just maybe, there might be some people there that God would allow me to get to know that God would use uh, for, for his eternal purposes, right? Like there might be something that happens there. Um, where are the people you already see on a consistent basis as you live life? Um, so we go out to eat at a certain restaurant a lot. I'm not going to say the specific names because this is a small town. Um, but when I go out to eat, I try to ask the waiter or waitress their name. And if they look school age, I try to ask them just about what school they're in, they go to, what, what grade they're in. And there's a certain girl. She's in the 11th grade. I know her name. She's waited on us a few times. And now when I go to this restaurant, I try to see if she's working and I try to sit in her section. And the hope is that, man, maybe I can build a relationship and God might do something with that. Um, she, she told me she doesn't have a church home. And so I invited her to church, but she's not come. And so I want to follow up. I want to tip her well. I want to ask questions and get to know her all in the hopes that, man, God might do something in that relationship uh, of eternal significance, right? Like we're already there eating. Like I can have a few minutes of conversation with this person who God might be wanting to do something eternal in their life. Um, I go to CrossFit a lot. Um, and I've already begun inviting people there and have been pretty rejected, but I'm totally okay with that, right? Like, that's just part of it. Um, I still feel like I'm developing friends there, okay? And so as we develop that friendship, these talks are gonna come. And as the opportunity arises, right, I wanna step into that, okay? I'm already there. God might want me to have a God conversation there. Where are you already at? Think through your life and your schedule. What places do you tend to be? And how can you get to know people to develop those meaningful relationships? How can you pray for them specifically and be consistent there, okay? Which leads me to the last idea that's been super helpful for me and that's to use my story. So when you share your faith, you're not having to cover every area of doctrine. You're like, well, to answer your question, can you turn your Bibles to Genesis three? Let's start from the beginning, right? Like you're not having to cover the entire spectrum of what we believe. You're just trying to, as the spirit prompts, you're trying to be obedient in those moments, right? As the spirit prompts us, we obediently speak. Um, my life has been pretty crazy the last six months. I did not think I was gonna end up in Snyder, but I'm so thankful that I'm here. But the month of July, I worked in a sign shop <laughs> and uh, I was in the back doing some grunt work with three other guys. And more than once, like it came up that we have fostered kids and that we've adopted kids. And so more than once, I got to share with these three guys, like why we foster and adopt. And so I'm like, man, we just feel like God's asked us to foster and adopt. At the same time, we feel like Jesus has loved us and adopted us. And so we feel like that's one practical way um, we can, for one, impact a community and help, but two, we can display all that we've received as Christians. And, and so like, I'm, I'm sharing my faith with these guys. I'm pouring my heart out and they're like, just looking at me, you know what I'm saying? And then when I'm done, I'm like, like, and they're like, that's cool, man. <laughs> I mean, I got nothing, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got nothing. But listen, but it goes back to, to what we said. Like, man, in three years, God might do something with those people. And 
Hopefully they have good memories of my month there. And maybe God planted something there that they're gonna remember later that God's gonna use and leverage later in their life. I don't know. My job is to be faithful. How could God use your story? Because when you share personally what God has specifically done for you, man, it makes Jesus come to life for you and people see that. How can you use your story and leverage your story for God to really use that in whatever way he sees fit? So develop meaningful relationships, leverage the places you already are, use your story. And when the spirit prompts, boldly share and plant a seed because who knows what God might do. I love, I love Jesus's talk in the upper room. It's the night before he's gonna be crucified. He knows he's gonna be crucified. And he has, we have all this content about what he says. And it's, it's very moving to read those words in light of what we know is coming for Jesus, knowing that he knows what is coming. But listen to these words in John 15. It says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. God has commanded and called us to share our faith. And when we walk in obedience to that, we can know for 100% certainty that we have obeyed the God of the universe. And listen, there's something that is so encouraging and life-giving when we lay our head on our pillow at night and know for a fact we have obeyed our God. And listen, you, you may give the clearest, the most precise telling of the gospel and see nothing. You may fumble through it all and God might save. Our job is to be faithful. And when we're faithful and we take God's word seriously, I think God creates this joy in us that's, un, in, that's not explainable. And some of you have felt that before. You felt the joy of the Lord as you knew for a fact you were obeying his calling. Church, listen, there is absolutely no pressure. God has got this, but God graciously wants to work through our feeble obedience to accomplish his eternal plans and allow us to enter into his joy. What would it look like for you to step into that this week? Would you bow your heads with me? So I've obviously been primarily talking to Christians because we're talking about sharing our faith as believers. But if you are not yet a believer, if you don't know Jesus, I just want to address you for a second without anybody else looking around. For every believer in this room, there's been this moment where they realized they were not a believer, where they realized they needed Jesus and they put their faith and trust in him. Right, And this may be your moment. And so what I want you to hear today, if you're not a believer, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is not surprised that you're here. He's not surprised that you are here. Jesus is not the one who's holding your past over your head. Jesus is not the one that's condemning you in your ear right now. Jesus isn't the one bringing up all the bad stuff that you regret. That's not Jesus. That's the enemy, and the Bible calls him the accuser. 
Jesus. He is the one who knew all those things about you already and still went to the cross for you because he loves you that much. Tim Keller says that we are more sinful than we ever imagined, but more loved than we ever dreamed. And just for the record, if you are a believer, that's our motivation for sharing our faith. We have received eternal love and now it's our privilege to share that love with those who don't know Jesus. But if you are not a believer this morning, what I want you to see and hear and feel right now is the love that Jesus has for you. He loves you. He wants you. He is calling you to himself. And listen, everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed. If you're not a believer this morning, I want to walk you through a prayer to become a believer if you want. And so if you're not a believer and you want to become a believer, I'm just going to ask you to look up at me right now. If you're not a believer and you want to become a believer, I want you to look up at me right now. Thank you. I'm gonna pray a prayer and I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And what I want you to know is that just repeating words doesn't save you, right? But it's do we actually believe the words that we are saying? Do we actually believe it? So. If you want to become a Christian, I want you to believe these words. Jesus, I acknowledge my sin before you. I do not have the ability to save myself or to make payment for my sin. I believe that you know me and love me. I believe that you have died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose a third day and I put my faith and trust in you. I give my life to you, amen.